Well, Tom and Treasure, thank you so much for that. And uh, what a nice illustration that was, Treasure. That was awesome. And I appreciate your ingenuity and your, uh, your thoughts. Sir. That's really pretty, pretty special. Thank you. Well, welcome, Centerpoint family and those that are listening. We're so happy you're with us today. And this is, our, I think, our fourth or fifth time coming to you on Facebook Live. And we're glad you're here with us today. A couple things before I get started today. I want to just make sure that you, um, I want you to know that we really appreciate uh, you as our family, our church family, and for the community that is that happens to be listening in. We're, we're, it's one thing I am amazed at. It, it, it's so apparent that people are seeing different messages from different pastors um, and different teachers that they never would have had before because when we're having church in our individual churches, people go to our churches and we do our thing, and that's great. But now people are having an opportunity to stretch a little bit, and our stretching is somewhat out of our comfort zone, um, clearly out of my comfort zone, but it is allowing us also to um, reach people that maybe haven't been reached before or maybe they didn't have the opportunity to because they're not local or whatever reason. So we're really glad that this is happening and this is a good thing that's coming out of this. In fact, there's going to be a lot of good things that are going to come out of this, um, this situation. So I want to encourage you to know that what is happening, the Lord is totally aware of it all. He's not upset by it, and he's not surprised by it, and he has it all under his charge, under his control, and it's going to be good in the end. And we're going to come out stronger, um, praying that our economy comes out stronger at the end. But more importantly, I'm praying that our spiritual lives come out stronger in the end as well because that's really, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's about our relationship with Jesus. And, in fact, that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, being that it is Easter. I want to continue to, uh, before we get into the message, I want to continue to thank those that are faithful in your giving. Um, so thankful that those that are feeling the, the, the responsibility and feeling the privilege that we have to continue to give to the Lord, even though we're not in the church, physically in the church. We are still the church. And uh, what's happening here is really still important. And so uh, I just want to continue to thank those. Um, I was able to figure out our PayPal account as well. I figured out that we can be a, a charitable organization on PayPal, and they don't take any fees out anymore. So if you are giving through PayPal, know that 100% of what you give comes to the church. It's not that I don't appreciate them needing to get um, paid, because they do, but I'm also appreciative of the fact that they give charities uh, the benefit of the doubt, and they don't take uh, a cut, if you will, out of that, because maybe they, rec- maybe they recognize that it's God's money as well. So we continue to uh, thank you for doing that. And also, um, for those that uh, want to just drop it off at the church, um, it gives us a reason to say hi and uh, smile at each other, too. So appreciate you doing that. This afternoon, about 2 o'clock or so, Pastor Tyler and Hannah are going to be getting with our youth on a special Easter message on Facebook Messenger. So... Um, be watching for that or do how you do that for those messenger folks. Again, I'm not real Facebook savvy, but uh, they are. And uh, so uh, at around 2 o'clock or so, Pastor Tyler and Hannah are going to be giving a uh, special Easter message to our youth. So um, be watchful for that. And let me ask, let me remind us one more time. I said this last week, but I think this is really important. Um, I know that people are starting to get a little bit stir-crazy now, and it's being at home and uh, social distancing. And, yes, uh, it, I think it's the right thing that we continue to do. It's what our government asks us to do, and we're going to be submissive to that. But I, all know, uh, but I also know that people are getting a little bit lonely. And so I would ask all of us 
to um, take it as your responsibility to make a phone call this week. Think of somebody maybe you haven't spoken to in the past week or two, or maybe you haven't spoken to them since we haven't had church, which would be a shame a month ago. <laughs> but I would, I would encourage you to pick up your phone and give somebody a call and just talk to them and just say, hey, how you doing? Um, and pray over the phone. It's so cool that God is not limited by our technology. In fact, he's given us our technology, and so we need to use it. So I would just encourage you to make the phone calls, to encourage those that uh, you haven't seen in a while. Make sure they're doing okay. Ask them if they need any help. And, and quite honestly, if you need help, contact the church. Let us see how we can help you as well. Um, we want to make sure that no one, no one goes hungry, that no one is, uh, is suffering alone in any way, shape, or form, with or without the virus. The, the, the economic uh, condition and toll is going to be pretty significant possibly. And we want to make sure that we're there to help the best that we can. So I just encourage you to, uh, to reach out, be friendly, and uh, love people. Uh, remember, I do have the sanctuary open in the mornings from 5 in the morning till 10 at night. The sanctuary is open if you want to come in and pray. It's just a really nice environment in there, so um, it's always open too as well. Let's pray, and then we're going to begin our message this morning. Father, we just come to you again in Jesus' name. And Father, we are so thankful that you have orchestrated the events of life around the plan that you have for us. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that you've sent him as your son to in, into our world to rescue us, to be a saving agent for us, to be the savior of our lives. And God, I know that this is a, a, a different holiday for us today as we spend it this way but it doesn't diminish it at all. It doesn't diminish the message of the cross. It doesn't diminish the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, in many ways, we're maybe we're more like that, that early church. We were huddled in their homes, afraid, not knowing what was going on. And all of a sudden, Mary comes running to the, to the door and says, he's alive. He's alive. And that's what's happening for us today. We're crying out, Jesus is alive. And he's finished the work. And we just want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So Easter, I have a message. It's titled, It is Finished. Most times we, we, we call Easter, we have our Easter messages to say, it is, He is risen. <laughs> but I'm going to title the message today as Easter, It is Finished. And maybe I hope that we'll understand why I've said that by the end of the message. But Easter is one of the most important Christian holidays right along with Eat Christmas. And uh, those are the, the two obvious ones. Christmas is when Jesus came as a baby. And we all know the Christmas story, and we celebrate that every year on December 25th. Easter is when he dies and he rises from the dead. And those are bit, two big events, and Christians around the world celebrate these holidays in, in all kinds of various ways. What God intended to show the world through these amazing events is his love and his patience towards us. God created us, and everything in this world is awesomely created by him. And these events, these holidays, these religious holidays that we celebrate are, are the proof to all mankind how much God really loves us. As important as these events are, as important as Christmas is and, and Easter is, 
really what happens between between and after these holidays really is the thing that makes the difference. There's some thought to process there. And I want to just take the time to go through that. See, it's what happened in the life of Jesus after he came as a child, after he came as a baby. His coming to earth, living a, a, a human life, and then dying on the cross and the resurrection are, are so special for us. But just as importantly, it's what's happening in your life and in my life between the holidays. Between Jesus' coming as a baby and his dying on the cross, it's wh- how am I applying that? How am I celebrating that? Now, last week we spoke about how we have a tendency to um, water down holidays. We make them easy to talk about. Um, we make them family-friendly, and that's all good. But most damagingly is that we make them politically correct because we don't want to get too heavy. <laughs> we don't want to get too too involved in what these holidays really represent because um, they're kind of ugly in the reality of what's happening here. And Jesus leaving that perfect life in heaven, that was a big deal for him. And even more so when he had to die on the cross and suffer for a for us, uh, he paid the price. He paid the penalty of something he didn't deserve to. That's not a politically correct message. <laughs> so what really is Easter? What really is Easter? I think that's something that I want to, we need to celebrate this morning. And, and it is a celebration of the risen Lord, that he did die and he did um, live a perfect life and he did pay the price. But what really is Easter about? Well, what happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is that Jesus had a few details to take care of. It's important for us to understand that, that Satan rightfully held the keys of death and eternal separation of man and God. That man gave those keys to Satan. Adam and Eve handed the keys over. Yes, dece- Satan deceived them and tricked them, but it was a choice that Adam and Eve made, and, and therefore Satan had legitimate claim to death. The death that Jesus paid on the cross, or died on the cross, however, he paid the price that God demanded for the penalty of sin. So Jesus' perfect life and his willing death was payment required to get the keys back. And so in that period of, of the Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning, uh, Jesus visited Satan, <laughs> and he said, those keys are mine. I paid the price, so give them back. And Satan had no choice but to give the keys back. We read about this in chapter the, uh, the, the first chapter of Revelation, and probably not a typical Easter message um, text, but if we look at it, let's see what it says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is speaking, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And the most important things, he says, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Wow, what an amazing statement that Jesus said, I I did die, but I am alive. And not only am I alive, but I have the keys of death and eternal separation, and I can give them back to you if you would so choose. So what is Jesus really telling John the Revelator here? I read this in a Bible commentary. Let's, let's read this together. It says, In this sense, death and Hades 
were raided by Jesus, who liberated man who was destined to this fate by the curse. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. In fact, let me stop. Get your Bibles. If you haven't got your Bibles yet, go get a Bible, get a pencil and, pa- pencil and paper, and write this stuff down. All right. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in his resurrection, demonstrated dominion over death. It is because Jesus is the living one that he has the keys of Hades and death. His resurrection turned the key in the gates of Hades and death, liberating us to eternal life. Our liberation grants us freedom from the bondage of the fear of death. Amen. This, we're getting to the point of Easter. This is what Easter is about. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this about the fear of death that Jesus sets us free from. For those that have chosen Jesus, this is how we're freed from the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 14, it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Now, I know that we are in a time of this coronavirus, and there's a lot of fear that is being exhibited in the lives of people. There are many people that are, are, are driven and have such an increased level of fear that they just don't know what to do, quite honestly. But this makes Easter so much more special today. Listen, folks, as real as COVID-19 is, the power of Easter is exponentially more powerful than the fear of COVID-19. Because we know that Jesus is our freedom, that he has died for us and he has risen for us, and that gives us the freedom. Jesus took back the keys of life and death. And by placing your trust in him and in him alone, you have no reason to fear death any longer. That's the amazing part about it. This is what ties Christmas and Easter together. Jesus had to come to earth and be human, just like us. The only difference is that he was perfect in his humanity. Then by being willing to die and present himself as a sacrifice, that he didn't deserve to die for, he then could become payment for sin that God's righteousness requires. That's how Easter and Christmas relate. Christmas came, presented the baby, gave us the hope of what was going to happen, and then Easter came and fulfilled it. Easter is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave us on Christmas Day. That's why Easter and Christmas are so important to us. But like I said before, what happens between the holidays, what's happening in your life and my life, really is the thing that makes these important. John chapter 19, beginning of verse 28 through 30. This is really kind of setting up the text of really what I want to talk about today. It says that Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, 
It is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, I just got to pray again (laughs) because that's such a powerful message right there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you one more time for the life of Jesus. I thank you one more time for what he did on that day for us, that he was willing to hang on that cross. Not a pretty sight. He was willing to be chastised for us and beaten and stripped and then nailed to that cross. Father, Jesus said that no man takes his life. Rather, he gives it up. And that's exactly what he did. And when that, that day when he cried out, it is finished, he gave up his spirit. And it was finished. And we're so thankful for that in Jesus' name. So make it real to us today. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So I read all the things that I said about that to set the, to set the stage for what I really wanted to talk about today. And that Easter really represents what Jesus finished. So the obvious question is, well, what is finished? You know, I find it very interesting as I look back at the life of Jesus that he was a carpenter. There were two different places in the Gospels, Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13, that both uh, declared Christ as being a carpenter and a carpenter's son. You can go back and read those. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 55. So write that down and go back and double check that. But in both accounts, the word that is translated as carpenter could also mean a builder or a laborer. So it's reasonable that carpenters in that day were the sort of people that you requested when you you needed something to be fixed or to be built. In other words, they were kind of, he was kind of like the modern day handyman, if you will. He and his dad, that's what they did. So why do I find that so interesting? Well, because people that work with their hands like this, they they have a gift of seeing things as finished while they are still in their unfinished condition. I say this is a gift because some people that have this gift can see the potential of something while it is still in a very rough condition. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I've asked my wife if I can share this example, so I'm not going to be in trouble by talking about this. But my wife is a repurposer, meaning that she finds things that are used and beat up And she takes them home and converts them into something useful again. Now, that's a nice way of saying that she picks up people's junk, drags it back to our house, and stores it in our garage. That's the way I see it. I'm not gifted the way she is because I see it as junk, and she sees it as valuable. So you can imagine some of our conversations. (laughs) As we're driving down the road, minding our own business, on a mission, going where we're going, and Chris spots something alongside of the road, and she goes, stop the car. Go back and get that. And I'm saying, no, I'm not going to go back there because it embarrasses me to go back and pick up somebody's junk. But she says, no, stop. And so what do I do? I'm the good husband, of course. I stop the car. I go back. I hide as she gets out of the car, and she goes and opens the trunk, and she throws it in, and then we take off like mad people. And I'm hoping that that's really, that there was really junk and that somebody was saving it for somebody else because I don't know. But, but you can imagine kind of the conversations we've had. Well, that's kind of the way I see Jesus as a carpenter, as a handyman of his day, that he had the gift of creativity 
that he could either build from scratch something that somebody needed or that he could take something broken and fix it. He could take something that was seemingly worthless and he could fix it and make it valuable again. (laughs) See, that's how I relate to what's happening between Christmas and Easter in the life of Jesus. That he was a fixer of people's lives then and even today. That we're broken people. We live in a broken generation. We live in a broken world. But yet Jesus loves us so much and he is so committed to us and he's so creative that he can see the potential in your life and he can see the potential in my life. That uh, just blows me away. So what I want to talk about today is that this process of creating something from scratch or the process of repurposing something is similar in four respects. Number one, it takes a vision to see it. Number two, it takes time to create it. Number three, it's messy in the process. And finally, number four, there's a time when it's finished. All these elements have a spiritual connotation as well as a physical element to building or repurposing. So let's talk about these. Number one, it takes a vision. Now, each one of us is created in the image of God through the vision that God had for our lives. God purposely and intentionally created you in the womb of your mother. And he had a purpose already defined for you before you were ever born. That's so amazing. Psalm chapter 139, beginning at verse 13 and then following, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making us so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. (laughs) You want to talk about creative? You want to talk about somebody that could create something out of nothing with a purpose and a plan? That's exactly what God did for you, that he created you and me with a plan perfectly laid out before we were even a thought of. That's pretty amazing. So if this is true, does it mean then that everyone automatically lives a life that fulfills God's vision? What do you think? I think the obvious answer is no. That people are free to live any way they choose to live, even if their choices are way out of line with God's plan. God allows them to live the the life they want to live. God has a great plan for your life. But you have to choose to accept it and live in it. I've been reading through the Old Testament prophets over the past few weeks of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you can't read these books of the Bible without seeing some very hard truths of God's judgment against the rebellious people. When Israel and Judah, when they when they separated and uh, then they were conquered by Assyria and Babylon and and the 70 years of exile and all that stuff. I mean, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they prophesied and they tried to warn the people of God's coming judgment if they wouldn't get their hearts right with, the, with God. And God just allows people to do what they want to do. But that doesn't mean his judgment isn't real. 
because it was. So you can't help but see the judgment that God has for rebellious people. At the same time, and even more important and more impressive to me, was I saw his patience and his long-suffering for his people. Because for everything that he punished them with, he was calling them back into relationship with him. Certainly, Easter is about God's vision in seeing the plan for all men. Even though we've all started off stained by the guilt of Adam's sin, and then we've all lived our life in imperfect, clearly imperfect, we've all gone further away, but we all have the opportunity to share in the vision that God has to redeem us from our brokenness and restore us to what he originally desired us to be. That's the message of Easter. So the question is, what's your vision? Is your vision lining up with God's vision for your life? See, see, this is a similar question to what I asked last week on Palm Sunday when we talked about perception. Perception and reality. Perception is reality for many people. However, that doesn't mean that the reality is good if their perceiving is wrong. So is your perception of God's truth lining up with the reality of God's truth for your life? That's a big question. Where's your vision? What's your vision? Is it lining up with God's vision? The second thing I want to talk about is that it takes time to create. Whether you're creating something brand new or you're uh, recreating a, a broken life, it takes time to create it. Like we started off in the beginning of the message, we have the Christmas holiday and the Easter holiday. And what's really important is the time between the two. What's happening between Christmas, Christmas, Christmas? Hey, I just made up a word. What's happening between Christmas and Easter? Christmas can be the time. We'll just define that as the time between Christmas and Easter is Christmas. Wow. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> wow. We're going to send that to Webster, see if that makes sense. But as we started off thinking that the, the importance of Christmas is the coming of Jesus, and then the, full, then the fulfillment of, of Jesus' life comes in the Easter moment. But the time between, and it takes time. No, Jesus, being a carpenter, understood very clearly that it takes time to build a quality piece of furniture. And it even takes time to, broke, to fix a broken chair. It, it doesn't make any difference. If it's a brand new piece or a broken piece, time is an element. And here's the other issue. No matter how urgent the need, time is required in many ways, and it can't be shortcut. Now, let me give you an example. I go back to my years when I was working for Rockwell. I sold factory automation, and um, I worked with, with Ford Motor Company, and we, we sold uh, programmable logic controllers. These were the controllers that ran the machines in the assembly plants and so forth. And like everything, there's the failures happen. And when the failure happens and it shuts down the assembly line and it happens to be your piece of equipment that's doing it, that's not a good thing. Because when you, set this, when you shut the assembly down line too long, it gets the attention of a lot of high-level people, plant managers and higher-ups. They automatically just come out of the woodwork, and they want to know what's going on, how come we're not making cars, because every minute we're not making a car, we're losing thousands of dollars. So all of a sudden, we have this problem, and they want it to be fixed immediately. Well, unfortunately, the urgency of the, of the matter, it doesn't make the problem any easier to fix. It still takes time to fix things. And it's not 
It's not easy to do. The reality is some problems, some problems are worse than others, but they all take time to fix the problems. And maybe an example that we all can relate with right now is COVID-19. We are in this time of waiting for that vaccine, waiting for that antibody, that test, whatever it is. We're waiting for that to be created or found or discovered so that we can get back on with our normal life. It takes time. No matter how urgent the matter is, it still takes time. You know, it takes nine months to have a baby. It takes nine months. The, the mother's pregnant day one, but it still takes nine months to have that baby. You can try to hurry the process by saying, okay, let's have nine ladies pregnant, and maybe we can get nine ladies pregnant and have a baby in a month. But it doesn't work that way. Nine ladies are still going to take nine months to have babies. So I'm hoping you're getting the point in that time is always an element in the vision process and in the construction and, the, and repurposing process. Number three, it's a messy process. The messy part is, I think, one of the hardest things for us to understand and to possibly accept, especially when it comes to our spiritual life. Now, as I said last week, again, the ill-fated perception that men, men have, if it's not lining up with God's word, it's a direct result of Satan getting in on twisting up God's truth in a way that distorts it just enough to make it false, just enough to um, twist it around, and he'll use it to destroy us. Well, this is part of the messy process of becoming a Christian. I've heard, it, I've heard so many stories from people that are struggling maybe with their need for a relationship with Christ. And maybe they've been hurt by the church. Maybe they've been hurt because maybe, maybe we've, been, we've told them some things that just aren't quite true. See, maybe there's some, been some well-meaning people that really, really care about you, that really want you to give your life to Christ and are really concerned about your life. But maybe they don't tell you the full truth, not because they're mean or not because they uh, have any, any ill will. But I think many times we think that or we maybe have the false impression that once I give my life to Jesus, life is going to be good that all my life addictions are going to fall away just immediately, that all my relationships with other people are going to get better immediately, that our financial world is going to get better immediately, that God will bless us and will prosper financially. Or maybe that you'll be healed from a sickness or a disease or some emotional struggle that has been developed in your life. And there are so many other really good-sounding things. And I can tell you, in the big picture... In the big picture of things, all of this is true. But we don't live in the big picture all the time. We live in the reality of today. And this is where it gets messy in the process of people's lives. Because just because we acknowledge Christ to be our Savior, and we are in the process of making him our Lord, recognize that the enemy is right there to destroy that. He's, he's losing you. <laughs> While you were living in a life that you wanted to live, maybe in a lot of false truths or whatever, or just right out rebellion, the devil had you in his grip and he was comfortable with you and he let you alone for the most part, possibly. But as soon as you accept Jesus as your savior, you got to know he's coming back after you. You got to know he doesn't want to lose you. So he's going to come back and he's going to bring some things into your life that are going to uh, try to get you back. That could look like many different things. But looking like, but when you take a look at how we build things, like 
my wife and are repurposing. It gets a little ugly and it gets a little messy. I will say the garage gets all messy. It gets all sand dust every in the air, every place and stripping the furniture. And uh, quite honestly, everything looks worse until it gets better. Nothing looks good in the process of being finished. And sometimes that's our life. Sometimes we think we should automatically be shined up and ready to go and step in and never have a problem again. But I just want to tell you in reality, that's not true. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and that his plan is to restore you and to redeem you. And he's going to do some work in your life that it might get a little bit messy in your life for a little while in the process. But I want to encourage you in it. Okay, now get your Bible out, would you please? Go get your Bible. This is the long scripture, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. Jesus was very honest with his people. And I want to show you how honest that he was. Beginning at verse 25, it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And then skip down to verse 33. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. You want to talk about messy? Do you see Jesus being very honest with people here? By being upfront and honest with people about the realities of what it takes to measure your life before you start, it helps give the proper expectations so that when a person does hit that first road bump, they don't give up on God. And this happened to many people, many people that started off with Christ, many people that maybe started down that life, and they were told by, again, well-meaning Christians that life's going to be good for them. And all of a sudden, they wake up the next morning, and they go to the job, and some things are happening. Maybe they're being persecuted, or maybe life isn't going good. Maybe they get sicker. Maybe they lose more money. Maybe the dog still dies. I I don't know. But life just doesn't get better. And and here's the thing. If, If I was the person that told you the day previous that, hey, you've given your life to Jesus, great, good job, now life is going to be grand, and all of a sudden, you run into that first problem, you're going to either do one of two things. You're either going to look at me as a liar because I lied to you or you're possibly going to give up on Christ. So that's why it's important. And that's why I say, again, the big picture of things, all of this is true because God is going to take care of your life and your life is going to be grand. And it's, in fact, there's no better choice than to accept Jesus as your Savior. I will just tell you that right now. There is no better thing, no better decision you can make than to, than to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and then you make him your Lord. No matter how messy it gets in the process, no matter how, no matter how difficult it might appear or how difficult it might be, you will never regret that decision but you will regret a decision if you give up on it. I promise you, you'll regret that decision someday. Salvation is free. 
There is nothing I can do. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Yet, it will cost you everything you have. Think about that. Salvation is free, yet it will cost you everything you have. It may appear to be hard and messy up front, but here's the good news. But Easter is coming, and it will all be worth it in the end. Scripture is full of passages that tell us this. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, just flip a few pages forward in the Bible that you were just at. Luke chapter 9, 23 and 20 through 26. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The messy part is an absolutely necessary part for all of us that are going through this journey of life. No one skips through it. I have not skipped through it. I'm still going through it. The messiness of Christianity is something that's awesome. It has to happen, and it, God, and you're not in it alone. Let me just give you that assurance. The Holy Spirit is there to help you through it. He's there to lift you up when you fall down. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get up. You keep getting up, and you keep saying, Father, I'm sorry. I messed up again. I fell again, and the Holy Spirit's right there to help you up. He's right there to forgive you one more time, but it gets messy. Finally, we get to the fourth part. It is finished. This is going back to where we started this morning. Now, I'm not an artist. I'm an engineer. <laughs> By schooling, I'm an electrical engineer, but, and now I'm a pastor, so I don't know what that makes me. I, I'm trying to figure that out. But I've always wondered, however, when I look at a good piece of art, my Uncle Norm was a, was a good artist, and he was a good painter, and I've gone to some art, um, art, some art uh, what do you call it, museums with my wife, Bored, sick, I will just tell you. I fell asleep most of the time. I found a nice bench and fell asleep. But I will say this, though. What I do admire, when I look at a, at a piece of artwork, I look at the, this beautiful painting, and I wonder, how did the artist know it was finished? This wasn't a paint-by-number, I don't think. I've done some paint-by-numbers, and I know when those are done, that's because I give up on them because I quit. But, but an artist, when they're done with this beautiful painting, when was it time to put the brush down? Because there always could have been another stroke of the brush, i got to imagine. That's the engineering part of me coming out, I guess. But I guess that's the gift of being the artist because the artist knows when it's finished. The artist knows when it's complete. And that's what, that, that's what takes me to the last words that Jesus said on the cross. As we read earlier in our text, said, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So what was finished? What was Jesus referring to when he said, it is finished? Was he referring to his life? Was he referring to the pain that he was going through? Was he referring to the embarrassment and humiliation and the shame of hanging naked on a cross? 
Was Jesus talking about himself? Now, I got to imagine there was some of that there. Yes, I mean, Jesus was a human being. And he felt the pain. There's no question about it. He felt every every stripe that was laid on his back. <laughs> when they pressed that crown of thorns in his head and blood trickled down his brow, he felt the pain. When they took that spike and they drove it in his wrist and he drove it in his feet, he felt the pain. And then when he's hanging on that cross and his arms are outstretched and the only way that he can breathe is to push up on those nails on his feet to get a breath of air, he felt the pain of that. And then he heard his father say, he turned his back, he said, I can't even look at you. And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt the pain. So yeah, I got to imagine in some of that when he, when he yelled at his finish, when he cried at his finish, some of it is for himself because it was finished. It was hard. But the most important thing that was finished was the good news that we have today because what he finished was the pathway to relationship for all men to his father. What he finished as a carpenter, as a, as a, as a person that knew what it is to fix something and build something, he finished the road to salvation. You see, the sin of Adam and Eve broke that relationship that God had with mankind so many thousands of years ago. Men did not have a direct way to the Father. In the Old Testament time, that was the role of the priest, that once a year they would bring in these blood sacrifices and they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would prepare the sacrifice and, and that would be an atonement for sin on a temporary, on a yearly basis. But when Jesus cried out, it is finished. The temple court, the, 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 the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer courts was torn in two from the top down. Think of that. The top down. God literally took the curtain that separated the presence of mankind and God the Father. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he said was, it is, what was finished is the path to relationship with my father. He tore the curtain top down. And with that, you and I have the right. We have the privilege of going into the, into the Holy of Holies. Matthew twenty nine fifty one. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was finished that day was the only road that will take us to the personal relationship with the father. The only way we can have a relationship with God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son, and he finished it. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. <laughs> that is worth finishing. Jesus finished it. He completed the task. And as I get ready to close this morning, I hope that you're seeing the truth of what Easter really is now. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead, and, and that's really vitally important. But why did he die in the first place is even more important. His purpose for dying was to finish the road to salvation. Forgiveness so that you and I can gain access to the Father through his death and his resurrection. So what is Easter? Jesus finished what he started. Now it's up to you and I to walk the road. Now it's, this is why what happens after Easter is so important because now it's, a, now it's my application. Now it's me applying the blood of Jesus to my life so that I can live out the vision that he has for me and you. 
So where are you this morning? Where are you on this road that Jesus finished? You see, if you're not on this road, you're on the other road. There's only two roads, folks. There's either a road to eternal life, which is narrow and a little bit messy that we've already talked about. And then there's the wide road to death and destruction. And that's wide and apparently easy because many, if not most, are on that. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to ask you, what road are you on this morning? Jesus finished the road. Are you on it? Do you know how to get on it? I want to pray for you today. And, I, and I, I'm praying that, that you will have, maybe you've sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, maybe sitting in your couch or your home or wherever you're at. If you're not on the road to salvation, if you're not on the right road, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will make it real to you. And that he will come to you and he will give you a sense of you need to change. I can't change you. Your parents can't change you. Your wife or your husband can't change you. The only person that can change you is Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he loves you so much that he was willing to complete the project. He finished it today. And now it's up to you and I to take advantage of it and to live in it. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, we have to ask for forgiveness. And we have to repent of our sin. And this is something that you must do because as we read earlier that if I'm ashamed of the Father, then he's going to be ashamed of me. If I'm ashamed of Jesus, he's going to be ashamed of me. I have to do something here. There is, a, there is an application that I must apply. You must apply in your life. And, and yeah, and I will tell you, it might get a little messy in the process, but it's well worth it in the end. I'm just going to promise you that. It is well worth it in the end. So I want to pray for you. And if you have never prayed this way, I want you to just close your eyes with me and pray a prayer similar to this. Close your eyes. Dear Jesus, I recognize my sin today. And I understand that my choices have been misplaced. I need to have a relationship with you. And I understand what the cross means. I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to walk down the road that you finished. So Holy Spirit, please change my life. I accept Jesus as my sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show, I want to play this little song that is from one of our own. Brian Eggers wrote this and he's singing it for us. And I think it has a very appropriate message for us on Easter Day. Sometimes in the breeze, I look upon my leaves. I love the way they flutter around my branch. And all the other trees smile and wave at me. Singing as we ask the wind to dance And we sing, oh, oh, oh Sometimes in the day A crowd will make their way Looking to escape the summer heat 
I gladly give them shade and help them drift away, resting for a moment at my feet. And they sing, oh, oh, oh. One day, dark and cold, a troop of soldiers told to find a tree who's heavy, strong, and round. They started at my feet till I began to creak and slowly my branches touch the ground and I say oh 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 I lay there cut in two the dirt my only view I couldn't dance give shade or even sing but then a sound I heard the soldiers had returned they stood me up and nailed me to a king and we sang Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you one more time for this day. We thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice. We thank you for your life. We thank you, Lord, for the the opportunity that we have now to choose you back. You chose us that day by dying on the cross for us. And now, Father, I pray for every person that listened today, that I pray that their heart would be sensitive to your voice that, Jesus, that you would just call them. I know that you've been patient. Easter is a patient holiday, calling all of us back. And I pray, Father, that we would readily see that and accept you as our Savior and then make you our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Easter and be blessed. Thanks for joining us.